As Canadians look to challenges of affordability, increased inflation, as well as increased interest rates, and the challenge of, challenges of our economy in 2023 and as we look to 2024, today we want to talk about the state of Canada's economy, as well as other related issues. And with me here today to talk about that is the Honourable Jill Oliver, the former Federal Finance Minister, as well as former Minister of Natural Resources. Welcome, Jill. Well, thank you very much for having me. A clear path forward requires looking back and learning. Good public policy requires human connection. It's a consideration of the facts, applying common sense and innovation. It's urban. It's rural. It's real life. We all have something to contribute. We all have a responsibility to get informed because there's a little piece of Canada in all of us, isn't there? Let's learn on this path together. This is Leaders on the Frontier. Well, Joe, I'm, I'm delighted to have you and uh, very excited about the opportunity to not only reflect about our economy, but also uh, a number of interrelated issues. There's certainly a lot of moving parts these days. And um, I did want to talk a little bit about a fairly recent testimony from um, another former uh, prominent federal leader. And that, of course, was none other than uh, the former governor of the Bank of Canada, David Dodge. And he was uh, giving testimony uh, to a federal finance um, committee. And he, I think it was a very powerful testimony. I did have a chance to, to listen to it. And basically he said, Canadians face a terrible job of choosing between higher taxes and fewer services due to mounting debt. He testified before the committee and he went on to say, governments cannot borrow their way out of these difficult choices. Your thoughts? Well, that's, that's certainly true. And that's been a, a frustration of mine uh, since uh, 2015 when the, the Liberal government uh, took over. Uh, you know, I delivered uh, the last balanced budget. Indeed, uh, yes. We've seen. And um, that wasn't done uh, because of uh, desire for ideological purity. It was done because uh, the Prime Minister believed, and, and I believed, and still do, uh, that fiscal prudence is important for our country and it serves the interests of, of Canadians. What, what we've had uh, since then is the antithesis of uh, fiscal prudence. What we've had is profligacy. And it was forecast, uh, in fact, and now we're, we're dealing with some of the consequences of it. You may recall that prior to the, uh, to the 2015 election, the then leader of the uh, third party, uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, said that um, he, would, uh, uh, he, he didn't think there was a, a particular problem about budgetary balance. In fact, uh, budgets balance themselves. Oh, yes, I did recall struck, that. Struck people as, as uh, an inane comment uh, that, that uh, really showed a, a lack of understanding of basic uh, e economics. But it was a, a warning uh, to us and uh, uh, forewarned uh, wasn't uh, forearmed in, in, in this case. Then uh, during, the, um, during the election campaign, he said, well, um, you know, he derided a bit the, the conservative, uh, what he, he felt was an obsession on, on balanced budgets. And he said he would have a modest 
uh, deficit in the first three years of, of $10 billion annually. Mm -hmm. $10 billion didn't seem particularly modest, although in the current circumstances, it, it does for the wrong reasons. And then in the fourth year, uh, the budget uh, would be balanced. That was 2019-2020. Uh, well, um, none of that, of course, happened. What you had uh, was a series of escalating uh, deficits. Uh, this year, it's going to be $40 billion, and there is no uh, balance uh, in sight. And the, the, um, uh, the, the other measure, I guess, that the government had talked about uh, for, for a number of years, which was the, uh, the, the, the debt to GDP ratio uh, as a target has also uh, been, been abandoned. Mm -hmm. And the result of, of that uh, spending, which by the way, uh, exceeded the total spending of all the prime ministers that preceded him. Sorry, can you repeat that again, uh, Joel? That is the debt, the the debt that was incurred by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau exceeded the total debt produced by all the previous prime ministers since Confederation. Yeah. It, it's it's hard, it's really hard to conceptualize that. But but that's the context, though, Joel, isn't it? That we have a situation where really a number of years ago, you were tabling a balanced budget, and now we've racked up more debt than all previous governments combined. And that's the context that we're in, but also where the former governor of the Bank of Canada, Canada uh, uh, David Dodge, who you know so well, weighs in and says, hey, we've got a, we've got a very serious problem here. Right. So this is not a partisan issue. No, absolutely not. This is an issue of, of Canada's national interest. And yeah. the, the debt has has increased to the point where it's going to reach, I think, one point one point two trillion dollars this year. Wow! And the interest on the debt will be about forty four billion dollars, which is interestingly enough greater than this year's deficit. In other words, it accounts for all the the deficit and more. And of course, with with high interest rates and the possibility of interest rates going higher and the deficit continuing, that interest obligation will continue to grow. So wow. this, is, this is where we, we get you know, into an understanding of the problem. It, it means that um, rather than money going to social programs, um, to, to uh, infrastructure, um, to health care and education, mm -hmm. of course, uh, um, it, it, it actually will have to go to something which won't help Canadians in any way. Right. Yeah. And that is the repayment of, of the interest on, on the debt, but we have no choice. We have to, we have to uh, discharge our, our obligations. Exactly. So it, it means that, that the growth will be slower um, and uh, taxes will be higher. And uh, the average, um, um, level of, of prosperity um, will be will be lower. Mm -hmm. You know, if, uh, a while ago, um, the OECD did an examination, an analysis of all the wealthy countries in, in the world, the, the members of the OECD, of which there are 38. And it concluded during the next 20 years and 20 years following that, and it was a 40 year period, um, the, the growth rate 
of GDP per capita, which is a measure of individual prosperity. That is the, the size of the economy divided by the number of people. In other words, how much, how much of the economy um, does each person have? That, and that measure of prosperity um, was, was going to grow less in Canada than every other developed country in the world. We were going to come last. So, Joe, what you're saying, I, I, and I recall that, that analysis well, is that the um, OECD, the uh, organization that, that kind of looks at the leading um, developed nations in the world, is looking at Canada at the bottom. The question is, why is that? And one of the, one of the central problems is productivity. Because there, there are two ways in which you grow. One is by increasing the size of the workforce. And the other is by being more productive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, we have a, a, a bit of a demographic challenge because the population is, is getting older. We can partially address that through immigration. And the government's focused a lot on, on immigration and their consequences to that, some of it negative uh, in, in terms of the pressure on, on housing. Um, but, but you can't solve the whole problem. Uh, with with immigration, um, so you have to focus also on productivity, mm. and unfortunately, we have a capital flight problem. The opposite of what what we need. Capital uh, in this country is leaving, and capital from outside the country isn't coming in at the same rate it is in other countries. Exactly. And what what yeah. we we're, you know when we compare ourselves to the United States, we see that that problem in in spades mm-hmm. uh, you know we just had a, a downturn of uh, i think 0.2 percent in the last quarter and if you have another quarter downturn you're you're technically yeah. in a recession you're well right the, the u.s uh, had you know pretty pretty good growth they they've got a huge uh, debt problem mm-hmm. as well but they have a more robust and more productive economy yeah. and so that's one of the critical problems that that we have to address it really is. how do you increase productivity and the other the other issue is to reduce uh, red tape and, and excessive and intrusive regulation uh, another critical area is is uh, to develop our natural resources and that's a whole other subject but but we have we have uh, paid a huge price mm-hmm. uh, for for the government's uh, climate obsession Indeed. Well, you've you've written uh, quite extensively about that. Um, those whole quote green policies are really not a green dream, but rather a green nightmare. So, the mm-hmm. war on affordable energy, on Canadian oil and gas, uh, seems bizarre to me, as we know that part of our economic history and success has been affordable energy, and we've had a diversified variety or sources of, of energy in Canada, whether it's nuclear to hydro, um, as well as Canadian oil and gas. And yet this federal government has a war on energy. So what's going on there? Help us explain from your perspective why this is such a, uh, a terrible policy that will really impact Canadians. Well, I'll, I'll talk about that as to why they're doing it. That's a little more okay. mysterious and we, we can we can get into that as well. But 
you know, the energy sector represents about 10% of the uh, Canadian economy. And it accounts for, um, uh, you know, I think it's 15 billion in, in exports and, it, it, and, and, and tens of billions of dollars in, in revenue uh, to governments. Um, we have the, um, uh, and it depends on the year, but, but the, the fourth uh, largest um, proven oil reserves in the world and the fifth largest proven natural gas uh, reserves, we, we, we're blessed with enormous mm -hmm. natural resources. And unfortunately, uh, we can't export any of those resources because to, to overseas markets because we don't have any pipelines to tidewater and we literally can't deliver. So where we're exporting now is to the United States. Um, and uh, that's fine, except that there's a huge uh, discount on the price that the Americans pay to what the international price is. And so uh, we're, we're basically subsidizing uh, the Americans. So the point is that we have this discount that's worth a lot of money, billions and billions of dollars every year that Canadians leave on the table because we can't get those pipelines done to serve other markets like Japan and Germany, like those leaders were here in Canada, and that yet our prime minister said, there's no business case to export. I mean, that's absurd, isn't it? We, we Surely we have a business well, case to export. Well, of course. You see, you know, firstly, we're suffering from this discount to the U.S. market. But second, um, we can't sell as much as we, we have the resources to sell. Mm -hmm. Uh, because uh, we can't access these other markets. So it's both a question of discount and a question of volume. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in terms of the sacrifice to our GDP, to jobs, mm -hmm. to energy security, to national unity, and to uh, having a bigger role internationally, this is a, this is, this is a, actually, it's a national tragedy. It, it really is a national tragedy because it, it's, really an impact then on ultimately our quality of life as Canadians. And interesting enough, um, Joe, I would, I would say that that also is a tragedy for our environment. If you think that cleaner energy is better, exporting that Canadian energy to places all around the world, including China, would actually help improve the quality of energy that they're using, wouldn't it? Well, yes, there's two aspects to that. One is that if we were to export more gas and oil uh, to Asia, um, it would substitute for coal, which mm -hmm. is higher emitting. Exactly. So that net global basis, we by developing and exporting our gas to to Asia, we would be reducing net global emissions, which is I thought what uh, what environmentalists wanted to see happen. Mm -hmm. And the other issue that you raised, of course, was was uh, we represent a, a very small proportion of global emissions, about 1.5%. So if we went back to the Stone Age, it would have no meaningful impact on global emissions and zero impact mm -hmm. on uh, temperatures. Right. Uh, China uh, is, is, is building more coal-fired plants than the rest of the world combined. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and, and India just said, uh, 
sent out a warning prior to, to a meeting there. Um, Narendra Modi said, um, uh, don't lecture India about your, your climate obsessions. So the, these, these countries have no intention of sacrificing their economy and undermining their ability to bring uh, people out of abject poverty. They're just not going to do yeah, it. And I understand exactly. why. Yeah. So Canada is increasingly isolated, actually, mm -hmm. because Europe uh, is, is starting to back off. Okay, so, so let's just step back for a sec here, because your point is so important, Joel. You're saying essentially that these climate policies are having a huge impact on people's day-to-day -day lives, their standard of living, their prosperity. Yeah. Surely um, we would look at this and say, wow, they're implementing the so-called just transition in Canada. It's going to do irreparable harm to the oil and gas industry, let alone the rest of the country. Because if you don't have affordable oil and gas industry, it all cascades down to manufacturing, mining, forestry, just about anything that moves in our economy then is going to be undermined significantly. I mean, we know, we know this to be true. So why are the politicians pushing those policies when they know it's going to do irreputable harm to Canadians? That's my question. Yeah, well, some of them may actually be be believers. They all say they are, okay. um, but the, but you know what what we've what we've seen is the you know the left wing um, who are very focused on on uh, big government uh, um, mm -hmm. intrusion uh, at the top. Um, uh, you know, less much less concern about personal agency, uh, feeling the government is the solution for everything, and. and government expenditures can can solve any problem real or imagined um, they they suffered a big blow uh, with the uh, collapse of the Soviet Union and uh, were looking for a cause and then uh, the environmental movement came along and they grabbed on it because because here here was an opportunity uh, to to uh, take their their ideology of of uh, big uh, big government uh, small people and um, and and create a, a kind of a moral imperative. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know they use fear, and they use constant propaganda, starting with children. I mean they they've terrorized our kids. Yeah. And uh, they they've they've captured uh, uh, you know by by constant repetition over decades they they they've captured the the belief of of. Of a lot of uh, a lot of uh, Canadians or, or people in, in in the Western world um, who aren't uh, expert, uh, aren't science mm -hmm. uh, scientists, and uh, you know are constantly told, well, all the scientists agree with this, so uh, uh, you know how how can how how can you question it? Yeah. Well, of course, all the scientists don't agree with it. Most uh, do, but uh, you got to understand that. Uh, for a scientist to take an opposite view um, is career-ending. Mm -hmm. uh, it also means no no ability to to uh, get um, get funding uh, yeah. for their project. It's funding so they exactly. To, they have to uh, uh, you know talk. They have to talk about uh, how their project is going to advance uh, the uh, the conventional dialogue. That's mm -hmm. why you see a lot of the people who are um, who are opposed tend to be a bit older. Or mm -hmm. not in academia mm -hmm. because they can't be hurt, and so yeah. Klauser um, spoke out because um, you know what, what can they do to them? 
Well, exactly. they can vilify him. In mm-hmm. fact, he was, um, but, the, but you know, they can't destroy his career. He was supposed to speak, uh, I believe it, it was before the IMF, and um, he was scheduled. And then someone, you know, looked at it and uh, they canceled him. Yeah. They canceled yeah. his speech. They didn't want to hear. They were afraid. I, mm-hmm. you, could, you have to assume they were afraid to hear mm-hmm. from a prominent scientist a message that went in the wrong direction. They mm-hmm. will not tolerate that. I mean, the, 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 the New York Times will not publish any story that goes against the conventional narrative. Yeah. So I did want to reflect a little bit more then about our issues of the state of the economy relative to debt. Because you powerfully outlined how it, it seems like this current federal government, among so many others, really don't have any kind of sensible um, safeguards or curbs, dare we say, if we use the driving analogy, to kind of guide our fiscal uh, decision-making in our country. And you know from experience that as a country goes into a difficult spot, uh, not just a country can get into a downward spiral as interest rates get up, but so can individuals. So can you help explain to us what's going to happen as interest rates continue to go up and our nation faces those higher interest rates? How is that going to impact our nation? Well, the concern, of course, is that uh, the average Canadian is quite indebted, particularly uh, in, in terms of their, their home mortgages. And uh, uh, we have a much higher proportion of, um, of floating uh, rate mortgages than in in the United States. So it hits those people immediately. Of course, it'll happen at a time when housing prices go down, so they can be confronting a, uh, a, uh, a loss. And then at a certain point, mm-hmm. um, they could end up owing uh, more than the house is worth. Now, we're not at that point, mm-hmm. but there is, there is a concern and there's a concern uh, directed at the banks, which is why they're trading at a lower price now, that there are going to be losses that the mm-hmm. banks are going to incur because companies and individuals are not going to be able to cope with the higher interest rate. So that's what, uh, uh, what, is, worrying, uh, what is worrying the market. Others feel, well, yes, we could have a downturn, but it's, it's, it's likely to be a soft landing. And that's yeah. what we don't know at this point. And let's hope it is. Are there signs that Canada is getting in that zone of a tipping point where the government just can't keep spending out the money, the deficits, and racking up the debt as those interest rates rise? Where are the signs, if you were finance minister today, that you'd have to start cutting and making some difficult decisions here? Because if you don't, you know what it's like. It, it's just going to be all interest charges, and then it's going to squeeze out everything else, including health care and education and everything else. This imprudence can't continue uh, indefinitely. I mean, the fiscal profligacy, uh, you, you can't borrow your way to prosperity. You know, we're at a point where we're hurting and uh, it, it can't go on. And even even this government is starting at least not to do anything, but to pretend to do something, you know. So it's sort of a, 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 sleight, of, a sleight of hand. Sounds and like it, a head fake, Joe. Um, it, it is. <laughs> so, so as we kind of um, come to the close of our discussion, uh, Joe, can you tell us more about the importance of those, um, that culture? 
to enabling Canada to go forward and, and the importance that political leadership safeguard those cultures so that we can continue to have not only a, a peaceful society, but a prosperous society that serves the next generation. Look, this, this relates to who we are and Canadian values. And uh, we, we have, uh, we, we honor uh, democracy, uh, freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of, 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 of religion, freedom of assembly, and uh, equal treatment uh, under the law. And our political leaders should be working to strengthen those values and unify the country. Unfortunately, this leader, our, our current prime minister, and some of the, the woke uh, madness that, that's affecting a lot of countries in the West is, is divisive and is undermining that. I mean, the, the critical race theory uh, and, and other neo-Marxist um, ideologies are, are pitting groups against each other. Uh, they're good guys and bad guys. Uh, you know, they're, they're people who are born guilty because of their race mm -hmm. and others who are born victims uh, because of their race. What and a so horrible in thought. Case, they're irredeemably guilty and evil. And in the other case, they're irredeemably failures. Well, that's not that that's not a healthy society. That's not a country that's that's going to grow and prosper in peace and harmony. Um, and uh, I'm I'm afraid that, that some of the, the political philosophy um, and the 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 partisan divisiveness because it isn't only ideology it's mm -hmm. a narrow partisan uh, an attempt to create advantage um, is really uh, is, is driving a wedge and it's also driving you know the, the climate policies have driven a wedge geographically as as well uh, to to and that's undermined national unity and mm -hmm. exacerbated. Uh, regional tensions. So we've gone pretty far in, in, in away from the concept of being the peaceable kingdom uh, that, uh, that Canada wants to be and, and, and honors, uh, um, you know, order and, and good government. And uh, I, 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 I worry about that because that's, that's culture and culture is, is, hard, is hard to change but uh, change it, we must. Indeed. And well said, uh, the Honorable Joe Oliver, the former Minister of Natural Resources and the former Minister of Finance at the federal level. We want to thank you for joining us and thank you for your challenge to be involved as citizens to safeguard our culture and our democracy. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for watching Leaders on the Frontier. We're a nonpartisan think tank. We explore ideas, policy, and practical solutions that can make a difference in the lives of Canadians. We do not accept any government funding. We work for you. Thank you for supporting Frontier. Visit fcpp.org to give. While you're there, be sure to check out our latest articles and research. Without open discussion and debate, you're not thinking, nor are you free comment below. We'd love for you to join the conversation.